0: Lady Boss Lawyer Podcast. My name is Courtney English, and I am your resident lawyer. This is my first podcast, so please cut me some slack as I learn to deal with all the technology, make the fun sounds, and all the cool podcast stuff you hear. I should also note that I have my little paralegal here with me, my sweet baby girl, and you may or may not hear some noise in the background as she sits by my side or is napping. I also have to make a disclaimer that this is not an attorney-client representation. We are not an attorney-client relationship. In order to do that, you would need to sign an engagement letter with me. We would both have to consent, and we'd have to move forward that way. So please understand that everything given in this podcast is merely legal information, business information, finance information, or anything in between. And again, it's only for information purposes, not for representation purposes. Okay, that being said, let's dive in. So in this first episode, I want to talk to you about something that's really hot right now, it's the coronavirus. And you might be thinking, Courtney, what does the coronavirus have to do with my business? And some of you may have already felt the effects of the coronavirus in your business, or you may be thinking that it could have no impact on your business. So I wanna dive into that a little bit. Things, industries that are affected, contracts that may or may not cover what to do in the event that coronavirus does impact your business. And then secondly, I'm gonna dive into some proactive measures you may be able to take from a business standpoint or to protect yourself and to communicate and ensure that the impact on your business is minimal, if any. Okay, diving in. So if you know me, and many of you do, the first thing, that you're going to hear me say is about contracts. So contracts in your business are extremely important, right? They are legal boundaries and guidelines for how you will interact with one another, how you interact with the marketplace, how you interact with customers, suppliers, vendors, and so forth. In most contracts, you should have a force majeure provision. Now, what is a force majeure provision? A force majeure provision states that in the act of God, or an act of terrorism, an act of civil unrest, something to that effect, that the contract could no longer be enforced. Now, there are a few caveats to this. Um, If you work in a certain field where a natural disaster uh, is definitely going to impact your business, you may not have a force majeure provision like this. Like you work directly with that field. So if you work in say the oil industry, and the force majeure provision says something about oil supply disrupt being disrupted that might not apply to your industry right because you anticipate that anyways as part of your contract so what else is part of this force majeure provision so i said acts of god right and that's what we're going to deal with today um it's been held that communic- highly communicable diseases can be considered acts of god as long as they unfortunately have a certain type of death rate or could result in an impact on economic downstream. Now, these are interpreted by your court of law, so the interpretation can vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But for the purposes of this communication, we're going to assume that coronavirus is going to be considered an act of God and thus would invoke the force majeure provision in your contract. So what does that mean? If the force majeure provision is is invoked in your contract, if it's between let's say you and a vendor, it means that that vendor may not have to supply you anymore. It means that you may not have to buy from that vendor anymore. It basically puts a halt on all your contractual obligations and allows you all to just kind of keep moving. Well, keep moving without um, that party to that contract, I should say. So how do you invoke the force majeure provision? A lot of contracts will have requirements of notice, meaning that you have to supply a written notice that you are intending to invoke the force majeure provision. You cannot merely just say this was going to fall under force ma- majeure and not perform. For example, say that you are a wholesaler and you work in well, use China because the whole country is... Um, for the most part, banned from traveling and import and export is very limited. So you're a wholesaler, you're in China, and there's a force majeure provision, and you have an agreement that you are going to supply, let's say, plastics to a um, company here in the United States. Well, due to the restrictions, you're not able to do that because of the coronavirus. So you want to invoke force majeure and say, hey, I know I have an obligation to supply these plastics to you but due to the coronavirus, I am not able to A, make them, or B, maybe export them. So I want to invoke this force majeure provision. Well, if you're required to give notice in the contract, you have to send written notice to that party that you're supposed to be sending these to, regardless of (laughs) any other conversations you have. So just because it's oral, that may not be sufficient. So sending that notice... This kind of gets a little tricky because people just read the force majeure provision and think, oh, I'm good. Uh, It says I don't have to perform, I'm not gonna perform, and then we don't have any paper trail. If you read further in your contract, you may have a notice provision, and that notice provision may reference back to that force majeure provision, stating that notice must be given in the event of the force majeure. So great drafting will integrate both of those clauses together. That's not always the case, and that's okay. As long as you look thoroughly through that contract And ensure that if you're in a situation where you're invoking force majeure, you provide notice as required under your agreements. Now, let's say you have an oral agreement and you just want to stop performing because you're thinking, hey, coronavirus, duh, still send written notice. Even if you have a handshake agreement with a small beach shop, send them an email and say, due to the coronavirus, this is a force majeure event and I will no longer be able to buy or supply to you. So again, protect your business by checking those boxes. Now, secondly, I'm gonna dive into a little bit of the industries that are impacted. And even if you don't fall into a specific industry, I'm gonna use the term online business as an industry. So listen in, even if you don't think that you have any human contact, so you might not be impacted. Just listen in a little bit and see if this may impact you. So first we have our obvious ones, right? The travel industry a lot of my travel agents are seeing a huge decline in sales. And while it's unfortunate because it does impact, you know, business, the economy, and the big picture in the United States, I should note that a lot of my travel agents (laughs) I'm so proud of because they have really good contracts drafted, some by me, some by other attorneys, that protect them in this event. So I just spoke to you about the force majeure provision. Well, some of these contracts these travel agents have will say, even if there is a force majeure provision invoked, there's still a non-cancellation fee of 50 bucks. It might be something small, but it's enough to give you, you know, a cushion. Or it could say something like, um, in the event that there's force majeure invoked, your trip is not refundable, but credited towards the future. And there's a lot of creative ways to draft things. So I'm not here to give you legal advice again, but I am here to say that, check those contracts and they may help of course but the travel industry is impacted and if there's ways that you can you know look at your writing and agreements you have with your customers if you're in the travel industry it might give you a little peace of mind another industry that's going to be impacted are your home services now this is contractors going into people's homes uh, maybe a caregiver in someone's home a daycare in someone's home any type of service where you're going into people's homes while they're only in contact that customer with just you or the person, your employee, that's pretty minimal, right? But there's still a fear. And that person may be sick, you may be sick. So you want to, of course, limit contact with individuals. Now, what if they cancel? Because they have a fear of the coronavirus. Now, a fear of the coronavirus Uh (laughs) is likely not going to be a force majeure just because you're scared it may happen to you or someone you know or in your industry does not mean that you qualify for force majeure. This might sound totally, you know, this may not give you peace of mind, I'm going to say, because a lot of people are like, well, I'm worried about it, so I don't want to go out in public, and that's fine. But Just having that mirror and security is probably not going to be enough to invoke a force majeure provision with a home service provider. So what can you do if you're a home service provider? You first want to check your cancellation policies and decide if, hey, this is going to fall for cancellation policy. Is their deposit due if they want to cancel? Communicate with them ahead of time and let them know what's going on, what your fears are and your concerns. Now, I am going to say from a business perspective, while you may not have a legal obligation to do certain things from a business perspective, it may be best to just let people off the hook. I know that sounds crazy, but if you start charging people a lot of cancellation fees during a time of fear and that time of fear passes, they're going to remember that and you might be costing yourself more money and more customers by putting such stringent guidelines in place during such a uncertain time in our country that you could really be costing yourself more in the long run. So that's something to certainly think about and be aware of. Now, another industry that's gonna be impacted, I'm gonna say is marketing as a whole. Why? Because people actually aren't advertising events about this. You see ads for, you know, let's say a pizza place, a deli, coffee shop, whatever, painting, but you see a lot of ads for events. You pick up papers and there's big ads for, you know, music festivals and senior citizens' expos and animal shows and what have you. Now, if those events aren't gonna happen because people aren't gathering at large, the ad gets canceled. That means when that ad gets canceled, that newspaper loses money, that salesperson may lose commission, the graphic designers behind it may lose work. It absolutely has a domino effect. And this isn't exclusive to just the marketing industry. There's domino effects across, you know, any industry really, cause we're all so integrated, but that's something to think about. If you're in those industries, you may also be impacted because people were canceling events. Now, some other industries that I may not have talked about, um, and I can't dive too deep into due to the essence of time, but things to think about is if you have any type of in-person business, people are just not wanting to go out. So again, this is a broad stroke of your brick and mortar. And people just were kind of scared, right? We don't want to be shoulder-to-shoulder with strangers. We don't know who's sick, who's not sick. So and if you have an office, again, that applies. So things to consider there is your remote working policies. And if you have a brick and mortar shop, if you're not getting a large set of foot traffic, it may be advantageous to just close your doors for a few days. And why do I say that? It's not that you're closing down shop. Okay, and make sure you communicate this. And I'll dive into this in the second half here. But you're incurring costs every time those doors are open. You may be paying employees and even if you're not, you're gonna have utilities, electricity bills, and there's a cost of your time for being there as a business owner. So it may be advantageous just to close your doors for a few days till the panic dies down. But again, I only advise that if you're not seeing foot traffic, if you're seeing traffic and people are coming in and it's worth your time, and then by all means, you know, continue. But I'm also gonna say that if you have a brick and mortar location like this, or an, an office place and people come in that are sick, and they cough or get, you know, germs on, you know, the items in your place of business. That could be a bit of a hassle for you and you need to if you're keeping your doors open, sanitize like crazy. You do not want to be liable for someone coming in and being sick, getting yourself sick, your other employees sick, your customers sick. Um, I'm not going to dive into all the legal footholds of what could happen if someone contracts the coronavirus from you or your business, because that's, again, going to really dive into a lot of state laws. Um, But there may be liability there. So I'm not trying to scare you to close your doors, but I'm just trying to warn you that you need to do a cost-benefit analysis and if the risk is worth the reward in the situation. But again, if you live in an area that has not been impacted, you're probably fine. And you're probably not even seeing much of an impact here physical business and then my last industry on this is going to be the online business owners you may be thinking well Courtney i have an online business i do online coaching i do online this i do you know online marketing i do etsy i'm not too worried about it i'm going to start with if you do etsy amazon or you're an online retailer who has a physical product you may be impacted from an economic standpoint meaning that you may face a supply and demand issue Why? Because we all know that China is one of the cheapest places for importing goods. Now, I'm not going to harp on the tariffs and the things that have changed during the administration, but generally speaking, it's typically cheaper to go offshore for wholesale goods. So if you're someone, let's say, printing t-shirts or doing something where you're buying items in bulk from offshore, you may see an impact because it's going to drive up the demand from other retailers, and that's going to drive up cost. So supply and demand and basic economics. So what do I advise there? Don't make promises. If you have pre-orders that you can fulfill, do that. But do not stretch yourself out with months of back-ordering. If you do or you have done that and you're in a situation where your margins are not great because you're now paying a higher price for items, check your cancellation policies. It may be better to just refund your customers instead of having that sale with such a small price margin, or if any. And there have been situations where people have tried to honor contracts despite um, the price not being favorable and the profit margins not being there. And that has impacted their business and the long term health of it. So if you can honor it, if you feel like it's a good business decision, do so, but understand that we're in the beginning of this thing. So the economics are going to change significantly as we have a supply and demand situation. And it's not exclusive to Perel or to Germex or baby formula or, you know, detergent or toilet paper. It can happen to any industry where people are panicking and not able to even get things offshore, right? So just keep that in mind and maybe even look at other suppliers that you could do or pivot your business if it makes sense to do so. So if you are a coach and you are some type of online service provider who does not have a physical product, what do you need to know? First, I'm going to say that in times of panic, people generally don't spend money on what they consider to be the extra things. Now, you know just as well as I do that Online coaches, business coaches, life coaches are extremely important. Health coaches, um, online lawyers such as myself are important, right? Accountants, we're all important. We all make sense of your business. However, even in my industry, it's likely that we're going to see a slowdown in clients. And you probably will too. Not to scare you, but it's just that when people panic, they typically don't spend money on these extra, what they consider to be extra things. So what can you do? this may be a good time for you to reach out to your current client base and offer an incentive, offer a mastermind. People are probably going to be spending a lot more time at home. Is there something you can teach them from home? Is there an online program that maybe gives them some tools to do something on their own where they can learn? that might be a great way to reach it out to your current base and to just give them some things to do. I mean, we're all going to be home a lot, right? And I'm home with our kids. So if you're in any of those industries, maybe think about what you can do to give them to entertain themselves and to enrich their lives. If you're giving actionable steps that require them to go to work or into the marketplace, that may not be a great time for that so things to consider is as we're kind of sitting around a lot and people are scared to go out, how can you pivot your business for people at home? And we're going to all be online a ton, right? So if you have an online coaching group, ramp up that marketing, start that Facebook group, Um, I keep using coaching as an example, but it just, I see so much of it. Um, But anything else you do where you're a financial planner and accountant, maybe start the Facebook group, start engagement, just ways to keep people going, start little programs that you can sell for one-offs for maybe not a high price item, and just start building up your following. Because you know, when we kind of come out of hibernation here, people are gonna wanna be doing things, right? It's like a bad snowstorm, people are gonna get cabin fever. So it might be a good time to build those relationships. So the second part of this, I'm gonna to talk to you guys a little bit about proactive measures and current measures. So if you haven't already done these things, I highly recommend getting on the train to do so. Okay, so my first thing is going to be communication. Communicate with your customers and your current client base about what's going on. Even if you're not pivoting your business because you're doing fine despite the panic, people want to hear from you. They want to know what's going on and what you as a business owner can promise them or just reassure them. Something as simple as, hey, customer, thank you so much for your value business. We are monitoring the coronavirus and want you to know that we're thinking of you at this time. At this time, we do not see an impact to our business and we appreciate you as a customer or client and want you to know that we will keep you in the loop as things, if things you know, materialize any further or things develop on our end. That's pretty simple, right? So it's a short email. It lets them know that they're still being valued. Um, you can even add a 10% off coupon if you want to. Just a way for people to know that you are taking it seriously. People wanna know that who they're buying from cares about them, right? so you may have heard before that people don't buy necessarily what you have, but who you are. And that's so true in the service industry. But so keep that in mind. If you can just communicate, communicate, okay? Now, my second thing is going to be a contingency plan. If you don't have one, get one. If you have in-office employees, in-office in um, office work, and store employees, anything like that, do you have a contingency plan for where they're supposed to work in the event that you have to close your doors? Do you have a contingency plan for if your supply runs low? What's your backup plan? Write out that contingency plan. And when you do that, consider one, your employees and independent contractors, how, when, and where are they supposed to work? And two, consider your supplies, your products and your services, and how else you can offer those. And then three, think about you know, th- any type of electronic means that people may have access to. So th- that's gonna kind of dive into my last point on the contingency plan. It's gonna be remote from home from home options. If you have employees that can work from home or can do some marketing for you or whatever that may be, make sure that they have the electronic things that they need and that you have that in writing. That you maybe, if you're supplying them a laptop, that you have that written down and that they're not going to, you know, download some viruses or do nefarious things they shouldn't be doing or scrolling around the dark web or whatever that may be. Or if they're logging into your company's software remotely, that they're not going to put viruses on it. They're not going to you know, try to hack anything or, you know, any open other tabs, maybe while they're on it, things like that. So that's a written policy that you definitely should get in place. If that is the route you are going to take. And that written policy does need to be signed by your employees as as a best practice. So please ensure that you have that down. And attorneys can always help draft these things, guys. But just you need to be clear with what that contingency plan is. So again, a contingency plan should not only address like employees and contractors, people in your stores, but your services and your products, What your backup plan is in the event this thing goes widespread. And then if people are working remotely, any policies you have in place there. And so my final thing on this is going to be an HR policy. So if you have sick leave and you have paid time off, our employees have to take it during this time. What if they have a little bit of a cold? And then of course we're all in hysterics, so we send them home because we don't know what that could be. If you're, forced, if you're forcing them to go home because they have the sniffles, does that invoke your HR policy? If you can just encourage people to work from remotely, that would obviously be the best way. So again, look through your HR policy and see what's going on and make sure you abide by that. Don't try to create things on the fly in response to panic. Now, if you see that your current policy for paid time off, paid sick leave, does not fit the situation you're dealing with, you need to formally amend it as required by your handbook that you have with your employees. So it's important to not just create things on the fly or to let procedure go out the window because we're all in mass panic because these things are still gonna be upheld in the court of law. So you wanna make sure that you're following the procedures that make sense for you, your business, and whatever is in that handbook whatever that written communication you already have down is. So guys, I hope this was helpful. I know that we're in a weird place and um, some say this has been predicted, some say it hasn't been, but the impact on the economy cannot be disregarded. I know there's been breaking news this morning about the fall in the Dow. And while small business owners may not feel a, sm- a fall like that, on the stock market as well as a larger business owner or a shareholder, it could still impact you. If you're a product-based business or a service business, either way you're at risk because people are impacted and people make up our businesses. So remember, there are things you can do to be proactive. You can communicate with your customers, you can incentivize them, and you can spend this time to really buckle down your marketing and build that email list you can also spend this time to maybe incentivize your customers to learn things from home, to pivot your business as it makes sense to teach them something they can do. So again, I hope this was helpful. I know it's a scary time of mass panic, but don't fear. There are ways you can protect your business, as I stated, and the considerations to have. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to your Lady Boss Lawyer. I hope you all have a great day. And as always, check me out on cenglishlaw.com. Or feel free to reach out to me via Facebook or Instagram. All right. Thanks, guys.